And last time we got down to verse 28, thinking about that reprobate mind. And we've been walking through, and I, you know, I realize this is a very dark scripture. It's not a truth that we want to see. It's not a truth that we want to realize. But I believe it's very, very applicable to our day today. Very true for our day as the thinking and the reasoning. And there's where the problem is. It's in the thinking and in the understanding of man. As the thinking of man goes away from God and they don't want to retain God in their knowledge, they don't want a law to rule them, they don't want a God to be thankful for that's provided all things, but we've done it ourselves. We make up the rules. We make up God. We say what God says, what God's going to do. And that's where man is today. So God is pulling back. And you know, I guess this is something that maybe not always realized. But even in a lost world, God is there actively restraining man from falling into complete and total evil. And if God's not restraining, then man's going to go headlong as far as he can go. And we've got Scripture to prove that. In verse 24, Wherefore God gave them up. Verse 26, God gave them up. Verse 28, God gave them over. The word every time is to yield up or to submit. So God is yielding up lost man. He's surrendering him. So God was there restraining, keeping, holding back man from the evil and iniquity that he would commit. And as man rejects God's knowledge and God's word, God loosens his restraint. So man's going deeper and deeper into darkness, into sin, into deception, into iniquity. And eventually the mind is at a place where it's worthless. That word reprobate, the counterfeit of no value, unable to determine what's right and what's wrong. Do you think that's where we are today? Our our Congress just made new rules. And as they gather, they can't say father or mother, sister or brother, aunt or uncle. They can't use those words anymore because those words denote gender. And you don't want to assume anybody's gender. Now, I hear giggling. That's silly, but they, they mean it. When somebody that's an adult can look you in the eye and say, there's more than two genders, and mean it. You think we're reprobate? That's where our world is today. You think it's bad? So now, we see man. Man's left with a mind that's void of judgment. What's going to result of that? More and more and more evil. So Paul's got a list. God's going to provide a list of the characteristics of man that is left alone to his own thinking and to his own reasoning. Some of these are pretty self-explanatory and we won't spend a lot of time there. I believe you'll know just as I read the definition what it means. Some of them we'll dig a little deeper into. So, verse number 29. Being filled. If you remember just a few days ago, Greg preached a message about filled means to cram full or to level up. So man... As God loosens His restraint, man is filled. He is crammed full of all unrighteousness. That's general injustice or iniquity. So that's a pretty broad-ranging thing. Mankind, and I believe you could see it even about yourself, before God saved you and His love constrained you out of that condition 
before you were transplanted, that you were filled with all unrighteousness, that the desire was, no matter what direction that you were going, the desire was more unrighteousness, farther into sin, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, the word here, and you know, as I read that, man thinks of sex before marriage. That's the definition that our world has of fornication. That's not the meaning of this word. We looked at marriage, divorce, remarriage. We looked at this word pretty closely. The Greek word is pornea. It's the same word as pornography. And it's any illicit sexual activity. It's that, really, you could define it as this. Sexual activity outside of a married relationship of a man and a woman. Anything outside of that is fornication. And it, it doesn't even have to be intercourse. Well, we didn't have intercourse. Well, illicit sexual activity is fornication. Adultery is included in that. Homosexuality is included in that. All manner of illicit sexual activity is included in that word. Wickedness. A desire to injure others. The depravity of the mind that would desire to see others brought down. Now do you see that today? That the, the mind and desire of man is that others would be brought down lower than them. That they have, and this isn't acting on it, but inwardly there's a desire to see this person fall. To see this person brought down. To be able to trample and walk on them. Covetousness. The desire of obtaining what belongs to others. Somebody else has got something and that stirs up a great desire for me to have what they have. It is unsatisfiable greed of gain. They've got that job, I want that job. So that desire inwardly is where it begins. As we go deeper, you'll see more. So wickedness, you're willing to injure others. Covetousness, you want what they have. Maliciousness, depravity or wickedness that is unashamed to break laws. They are not ashamed of evil. They don't try to hide the sin that they're committing, but they're open, they're boastful, and they're proud that they are breaking the laws of God. No shame whatsoever in the wicked lifestyle. Full of envy, pain, uneasiness, mortification, or discontent caused by another's prosperity, accompanied with some degree of hatred or malignity with a desire to depreciate the person and pleasure in seeing them depressed. So covetousness, that's a start. But here, full of envy, we want what they have so bad that we hate them for what they've got and we desire to cast them down. You know what you hear often in the political realm today? Down with the rich. Eat the rich. That's a saying. Very communist saying. But that's a popular saying you hear today. The rich need to be brought down to our level and we need to be brought up to their level. You know what that is? They are filled with envy that somebody else would have more than what they've got. But if everybody had the same amount, who's going to open a business where I'm going to work at? See, there's, there's no logic anymore today. The thinking of man is corrupted. And how can I open a business? Buy all the equipment and pay employees if you're going to make the same thing I am. You're not going to do it. If I'm going to take all the rest and I'm going to have the employees, I'm going to make the most money. But man is full of envy. 
and even against what makes sense. He's got a desire to see others brought down and depressed so that I feel like I'm better than they are. Murder, the taking of human life for gain, benefit, or pleasure. Now, we know murder is wrong. Murder's pretty common in our world today, really. I can't remember how many were shot in Chicago in, in one year, in, in this past year, 2020. But large numbers, where man has such feeling of envy, hate, maliciousness, that he would be willing to take the life of another person away. And out of pleasure as well, through the past, out of pleasure, the Romans, they had gladiators. And they were two men, they armed up, they put them in a coliseum, and they fought to the death for the enjoyment of those that watched. Watching life be taken. Now, that's corruptness. Debate, contention, strife, or altercation connected with anger or hatred, zeal. When we think about debate, we think about, well, we're going to talk it out and figure out what's right. You're going to present your side, I'm going to present mine, we're going to come together. That word's not, it's not what it means here. This is contention, strife, or an altercation that's connected with anger. So man is angry, and that anger is going to lead to an altercation. There's no thinking of anybody else in any of these. Deceit, fraud, or falsehood used to deceive others for the benefit of the individual. So somebody that's willing to lie for their benefit and to the harm of those that would hear. A lot of deceit in our world today. Things are not told the truth and the truth is openly covered up to prevent people from being able to see it. Suppression. Suppression of the truth. <coughs> Suppression of the gospel. Malignity. The misrepresenting the words or actions of others or putting the worst construction on their conduct. So somebody does something but because of hatred or maliciousness we're going to reframe what they've done or the words that they've spoken. We're going to take them out of context and make them seem to be something that they were not. Now that goes on today. Plenty of that goes on today. It goes on in the mind and imagination of man as well. I don't like you. You do something that is absolutely harmless and you mean nothing by it but my imagination puts it in the worst frame. Right. See, all of these things, this can be individually in your heart and in your mind, individually, but it can also be corporately as a whole. Whisperers. Those who secretly and in a sly manner detract from others or incite suspicion of them. Give hints of evil and affect great knowledge and communicate the evil report in secrecy knowing it will be divulged. So this is somebody that's behind the back and are whispering about somebody else to bring suspicion, to bring hatred, to bring them down. But this is somebody that's subtle in doing it. Probably the most dangerous. Because they're, they're hinting at it. Easing at it. They've got the intent of bringing them down. But without discernment, you don't even realize what they're doing. And backbiters. Those who slander or speak evil of those who are not present. Now, so the whisperers, they're doing it secretly behind the back of the individual. Well, here is a backbiter who's not doing it secretly, but openly and loudly behind their back, speaking evil of those that are not present. 
a willingness to bring and drag others down and through the mud in front of other people, whether secretly or wide open behind their back. No opportunity to defend, no opportunity to argue, a desire to bring down and hurt. Haters of God. Now I'm just going through the list. This is all straight out of Romans. I'm just going one by one through the list in your Bible. Haters of God. What was the first commandment that God gave to Moses? With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So this is a breaking of the very first commandment. But look where we've come to now. In chapter 1, remember this was the degradation of man. The gospel comes and gives knowledge and man simply rejects it at the beginning. And man wants to change the form of God. Man wants to change his nature. In his mind now, God's not being changed. But in man's mind, He's bringing God down to His level. Well now we've degraded to a place that man has an absolute hatred of God and of His Word. They despise to hear the truths of God. This is highest of all crimes, the breaking of the first commandment. Despising God, God's nature, God's righteousness, God's goodness, God's uh, anger and wrath towards sin, God's word, God's church, God's gospel, and God's spirit. A complete hatred of God and a desire to remove God and the knowledge of God and the understanding of God from all things. That power is actively working today. If you want to pray to Allah, that's fine. You want to serve God and stand on the book, you're going to be thrown down. Despiteful. Those who abuse or maltreat those who are present. So now we're getting even deeper. The whisperer and the backbiter, they're behind their back. But here's somebody to their face slandering another person. Maltreating and bringing down another person. Proud and inordinate self-esteem. Unreasonable conceit of one's superiority in talents, beauty, wealth, righteousness, on and on and on. It's a high view of self. We know what pride is. It's me thinking that I'm better or higher than I truly am. And when I think highly of myself, then I'll think less of you, and I'll think less of God, I'll think less of the church. I mean, I don't need any of that because of pride. Boasters, those who claim that which they do not possess and glory in it. This ties in with deceit as well. Not just gloaters. Those that are prideful, they boast in self. But here's people that's boasting of something they don't have. Now do you think man boasts of salvation? I mean, man man boasts on Facebook. And we boast at funerals. That we've been saved. And man does not possess it. It's a lie. It's boasting, but it's a lie. Inventors of evil things. Seeking out new arts, plans, or devices to gratify lusts and passions. So the desire and the passion and the lust for sin has got to the point that the means of enjoyment that we've had in the past no longer satisfies our hunger. So there are going to be inventors of evil things. New ways to fill my lusts and desires. New ways to fill my pleasure. And they're inventing ways to enjoy. Disobedient to parents. Not showing parents honor, respect, and or attention 
that was due. Now, remember this is out of the commandments as well. I believe this was the sixth or the seventh commandment. Honor thy father and thy mother. So here is a complete disrespect for the parents. And we're not just talking about little kids here either. These are adults that hate and despise and are unwilling to show any care or respect towards their parents that raised them without understanding, inconsiderate. They do not consider the hurt, the pain, the suffering of anybody else. They are concerned only with themselves and their gain with no care for another person. What's going to help me? And I'm not concerned. If it hurts you, then too bad. I'm doing what's good for me. Covenant breakers. False to their contracts or word. The days are just about gone that you can make an agreement with somebody. If you don't know them, shaking the hand and giving the word, that ain't going to cut it for you, is it? Now if you know, if you're a family, if you're a friend, if you know them, that might work. But boy, we're filled with covenant breakers. People that are not true to their word. Without natural affection. <clears throat> now this sounds like men with men and women with women. That's not what the word means. It is a lack of affection for kin. Especially the children. So a lack of affection towards kin. Now the Canaanites in the Old Testament. We've got scripture to back it up. And Judah under King Manasseh followed suit, but they offered their children to idols. Uh, Israel had Molech, the big hollow brass god with hands out that they built a fire in and they would lay the children on the burning hot hands and cook them alive. They offered their children to idols. The Persians, and all you can look all this up. You don't believe it? You can look it up. You've got a Google machine. Look it up and see. The Persians, if they had children that they didn't want, they would kill them and or bury them alive. The Grecians, they would examine for defects the infants that were born. And if they were found weak or unacceptable, They'd throw them into the cavern near the city. Rome, deformed children could be instantly destroyed. And the only thing you needed to kill your kid was five neighbors <clears throat> to say, yeah, we agree with you. Infants could be given over to wild beasts, fed to the lions, fed to the dogs, fed to the hogs, alive. China. China in the city of Pekin, they had a police force that every morning took carts through the city would pick up the babies that they had thrown out. Sickening, ain't it? What about the U.S.? Now, this is not liked. But this is the way it is. Since 1973, 61,000,000 628,584 children have been killed. Abortions. More than 61 million children since 1973. In 2010, 1.1 million. 2011, 1.05 million. We could go on. There's no sense in reading. <clears throat> How's it done? Well, it don't hurt. Oh, I tell you, we're, we're wrong. We're wrong. Listen, you can Google all this. A first trimester abortion is a vacuum aspiration. A powerful suction tube with a sharp cutting edge is inserted into the cervix and the fetus, the baby, is sucked through the tube, cut by the cutting edge, and destroyed. 
a second trimester abortion, a dilation and evacuation. The cervix is dilated with medication using forceps and other medical tools. The child is pulled out in pieces and the doctor suctions all remaining. We're talking head, arms, legs. Pulled off by a doctor's forceps and disposed of and a vacuum sucks out the rest. Some providers give a shot into the abdomen before the procedure to stop the heartbeat. So here is a living infant inside a womb with a heartbeat and we're going to give a shot that's going to stop the heart. What's that sound like? But now, this. This is argued for and supported. A third trimester, dilation and extraction. Medicine's given to stop the heartbeat, murder. Forceps used to pull the legs out with the head still inside. An incision is made at the base of the skull and a suction device inserted. The brain's sucked out. When the brain's gone, the head can collapse and be sucked out as well. 61 million since 73. And you, you, do you think that that's appropriate? A third trimester is a very viable baby. Can be born and survive. A friend that I went to high school with, she had a baby at 26 weeks, I believe. And he's still alive. He's one grade ahead of James. And yet here is man approving of the murder. Because I don't feel it, I'm okay with it. There's nothing wrong with this. You know what's wrong? There's no affection, not even for the own offspring of the people. No affection. Now you can go even farther than that. Moms and dads with children, let them fly, let them run, let them do. Don't worry about what they eat. Not concerned about fixing them dinner. Pitiful. A lack of affection for the children. Implacable. Those who will not be reconciled after a quarrel or pursue the offender with unyielding revenge. No desire to make up, to forgive, or to apologize. Only present it is a desire to get revenge. They're unsatisfiable and unmerciful. Destitute of compassion. There is no emotion in them that would cause them to have mercy. So that's the end of the list. Very much darkness and very much where we are and what we face day by day. Darkness. And you know, uh, we'll just go to 32. Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So, knowing the judgment, to know, to recognize, or to be fully acquainted with. They know. They know that God says, if you do these things, you're going to be judged, accountable, and destroyed for that. I dare say that there's not a politician, Democrat or Republican, that don't know that abortion does not agree with what God says. And all you, you could go on a, a lot of issues. It's aware that the Word of God does not line up and proclaims judgment against individuals and against nations for the sin and ungodliness that they do. They know the judgment of God. They know that God is not pleased with these sinful actions. Yet, 
that they which commit such things to practice, to perform habitually or repeatedly. They know that people who live in sin, God is going to destroy. Not only do the same. So it's not just that they're going against what they know God says, their self, but they also have pleasure. They gratify or think well of others that are doing it as well. And I believe here, here is the greatest curse that social media has brought on our country. Now, you can connect with somebody all over the country that will gratify your evil deeds and it's very easy to do so. And the world gratifies one another to make themselves feel... That's what man's wanting. God's proclaimed judgment. I want that out of my mind and I want to feel better. Well, if Anthony will agree with me and say, well, I'm sure that's all right. I'm sure that's just fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And if Kevin would agree with me as well and we could all three get together and say, why, there's nothing wrong with that. It don't matter what the Bible says. That's just fine the way it is. Then we all three feel better. Well, now you can connect with a whole group of people. The group's probably already made. All you got to do is join. And they'll gratify one another and have pleasure in the sin that others commit. Now, you could say, well, so-and-so, they don't do that. But do they gratify it? Not only do they do sin, but they're gratifying others that are going down the road to destruction. A complete promotion of evil and rebellion against God. A complete promotion of lies, deceit, and hypocrisy contrary to the Word of God. That's the Gentile world. That was the Gentile world in Paul's day. That's the Gentile world today. A world of godlessness and evil that's going farther and farther into sin and darkness. To the place that taking the life of your own children is okay, not only okay, but gratified and praised by those in authority. Darkness. Darkness. Chapter 2. Now, you know naturally where that leaves us. I mean, all of that wickedness, all of that darkness, and it's wicked and it's dark. And we ought to stand against it till the day we die. You ought not stand for it. You ought not gratify it. You ought not march with it. You ought not line up with it. You ought not cast a ballot for it. You ought to be against it and stand on the truth of the Word of God. And when you're asked why, you ought to be able to say that does not agree with what the Bible says. But that leaves me in a place that I'm looking out at this Gentile world and I think, boy, they're, they're a lot worse off than we are. And the mindset it gives church people is God just needs to destroy them. God just needs to get rid of them. God's got a special place in hell for them. God's going to take care of people that live like that. God's going to judge them and destroy them. And I, you know, I just wish God would go ahead and do that. Well, I say this as a nation, and Greg mentioned it, when Israel went to Babylon, the majority was evil. That was the judgment of God. But you know, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they went to Babylon too. And they were castrated. That's what a eunuch is. And they were made to be eunuchs. They went too. Now, if you think God's going to judge America and we're not going to go through it, you're wrong. The church will go right where America goes. But 
In chapter 2, we're going to flip the script. He's proved the Gentile world in chapter 1 was in the depths of sin and under the power of Satan. What about the religious crowd? Where's that leave them? Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. So inexcusable, indefensible. And to judge. Now, see, we run into this. Well, you say that we should judge. This says that we shouldn't judge. So, we've got a misunderstanding of two different words. Though judge in English works in both situations, you've got to have an understanding of the usage of it. Because I can take the Word of God and I can read this list of sin and God says it's wrong and those that repeat those sins habitually are not saved. Okay, I see somebody that's living like this. I can say, okay, they're not saved. Now, I didn't judge that. This Word of God judged that. All I done was apply that. That's judgment, discernment. That's not what he's talking about here. This word judge, it means to distinguish, to decide, to condemn, or to punish. So what's going on here is, here's a religious person that's looking out at a Gentile world that is in the depths of sin and darkness. And I say, you see that old boy there? Look how he lives. He needs to die and go to hell. God just ought to take him out of here. God's, God ought to make him pay for what he's done. I am not, not determining the condition of the soul, but I am being the judge and saying, that boy's going to die and go to hell. There's no hope for them. I am the place of God passing judgment and determining the punishment that man ought to receive. So, you know, naturally, as religious people, as believers in God, we look at this abortion crowd and this wicked crowd that's in all of these manners of sin and we think, you know, we're better than they are. They need to be judged. Well, now, you've got a greater knowledge. And if the Gentile world, remember in chapter 1, the Gentile world just from the creation and the revelation of God in the creation, they are without excuse. Chapter 1, verse 20, even His eternal power in Godhead so that they are without excuse. If these wicked Gentile people are left with no defense or excuse for their sin just by the revelation of the creation, then where is man that knows about God, is religious, is under the teaching and instruction of the Word of God, where are they left? They're indefensible as well. See, all of man's in the same shape. And God's going to prove that through chapter 2 and into chapter 3. Whosoever thou art that judgest, for thou that judgest doest the same things. You're judging somebody for sin and for breaking the law of God. And yet, as you live, you sin and break the law of God. You're saying this person ought to be destroyed for sinning against God's commandments and yet you go out the next day and you sin and break God's commandments. Now what ought to happen to you? I'm telling you the mind of man is so corrupt and blinded by Satan from the world and downtown to the church house in the religious crowd. The mind of man is broken and without reasoning. I tell you, if the world's without excuse, if New York City, San Francisco, Charlotte and Raleigh, if they've got no excuse, 
then where does that leave us under the gospel? You're inexcusable as well. Whosoever thou art that judgest and doest the same. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 16, how much do you really know? I mean, if you're going to judge somebody and determine what they deserve, how much do you really know? Listen to this. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy right wife? So no doubt, no doubt, false doctrine every way you turn in Paul's day. And somebody said, well now if you get saved, and your wife or your husband, they're still lost, you ought to just divorce them. You ought to divorce them and get rid of them. But Paul's saying here, what do you know? But that God might use you to reach them. Don't just put them away for no reason other than you got saved. God may use you to draw them to the truth of the gospel that they might be saved. So, the truth is we know very, very little. And the worst one you can think of in our community could be born again by next Sunday. God could draw them and save them and change them. We don't know enough to pass judgment and determine... And now remember the difference between the words... I know enough from the revealed Word of God to know what's sin and what's not and to know who's living in sin and who's not. But to say that Vaughn's going to die and go to hell, I have no knowledge. It don't matter what he's living like right now. God could in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, pluck him as a brand from the burning and add him to the kingdom of God. For me to say there's no hope for anybody or for this person, it's the wrong kind of judgment. <clears throat> Judgest another. Now let's see what happens when that happens. We got a couple examples. One, one that you already know very well in 2 Samuel chapter 12. We know what David did. David took Uriah's wife, laid with her. She became pregnant. David tried to cover that up by bringing Uriah in from the battle and getting him to lay with her, and he wouldn't. So David had him put in the front and had him killed, and he took Bathsheba to himself. A very convoluted mess. Now Nathan the prophet's going to show up with a word from God. And he's going to say, David, there was a man... A poor man. And all he had was one little lamb. Uriah the Hittite and his beautiful wife. She was all he had. That was his love of this life. But there was a rich man that had a bunch. He had visitors come. And instead of going and taking one of his lambs and killing it, David was the king. David had a wife. And David could have had any woman that he wanted. And instead of taking one that he could have got, he went to that poor man's house, he took his only little lamb, and he killed it, and he fixed it for his people. David got mad. And David said, that man is going to pay fourfold for the evil that he's done. Who was that really about? That parable... That didn't really happen. That was God showing David what he had done. He took Uriah's little ewe lamb and he had Uriah killed. And Nathan said, David, you're the man. So you see, O thou that would judge another and would throw down another person. Art thou not the man? Do you 
not break the law of God? And the very judgment that you call down on man is going to be the same judgment that you're faced with. David paid fourfold, just like he said. In Matthew chapter 7, I believe we can see it here as well. Judge not that you be not judged. It's the same word to decide, to try, to condemn, to punish. For with what judgment you judge, ye shall be judged. With what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. You measure it out thick for your brother. You measure it out thick for so and so down the road. Well, know this, God's going to measure it right back to you. You want to judge and cast down and speak evil of and tread underfoot another person for their sin. When you yourself are a sinner, when you yourself break the commandment of God, when you want to see them pay because they've sinned, and then you sin, God's going to measure that back. Boy, we ought to be careful what we say. A man ought to mind what he speaks and what he says. We're left without excuse. We've proclaimed judgment on somebody else. We've made ourselves not just a, a citizen, we've made ourselves a judge of the law of God. We're trying and condemning other people. In James chapter 4, verse number 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother, and judgeth his brother, speaketh evil of the law, and judgeth the law. Now does that make sense? I believe it does if you'll think about it. If the law tells me not to speak evil, and not to judge. And yet I speak evil and judge. I'm breaking and dishonoring the law in doing so. Thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. You've elevated yourself to one that's able to hand out and determine what's going to happen to people because of their sin. Well, you know when a when a, a citizen gets a DUI, that, that's pretty bad. But you know what makes the news when the state trooper gets a DUI? You know why? Because he's a picture of the law. He's out there to enforce the law. He's out there to arrest people that are doing that. And yet, he's out there and he's driving under the influence. It looks worse and it makes the news. It makes the news every time. Trooper so-and-so busted. And a lot of times, they'll let them go. That'll be the end of their career with the highway patrol. Well, what about now? I've made myself a judge. Do you think that makes my breaking the law more egregious? Dishonoring the law with my judgment. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. We're sure. We know. So this isn't something I think or I'm figuring or I believe. We know this. That the judgment of God is according to truth. God's not judging with a deceived mind. God's not judging not seeing the whole picture. But when God gets the book out, and God begins to judge, and God begins to condemn, you can take it to the bank. What God says is right on the money, and it's right every time. You can rest assured that when God judges, God's going to judge rightly. God don't need my help in judging somebody else. God's going to judge. You know what that means, though? See, that's, that's putting me under the bus because I'm a lawbreaker. Right? I mean, I may judge others and I may cast down on others, speak evil of others and throw them down, 
But I'm a lawbreaker too. And if God's going to judge them truthfully and by the law, then you can rest assured when God gets me before Him, He's going to judge me truthfully and by the law as well. I'm going to face the same judgment. And if I'm found to be a lawbreaker, see, here's the problem. And it's a problem in the mind of man. I look at you and I say, you have committed far worse sins than me. In the judgment, I'm going to be better. I look at you and say, you've broken eight out of ten commandments, and I've only broken four. In the judgment, I'm going to be better off than you. That's the way the Jews looked at the world. That's the way religious people Look at the world today the same way. Church people, they think that way. That's not judgment according to truth. There's two grades. There's righteous or wicked. In order to obtain the grade and approval of God that we're righteous, there must be perfection. Not one blemish. Not one broken law. If we have one blemish, we're unrighteous. If we've got a hundred blemishes, we're wicked and unrighteous. If we've got a million blemishes, we're wicked and unrighteous. They're all the same. They're all in the same bunch. They're all lawbreakers. They're all guilty and they're all unrighteous. From the most moral man on the face of the earth today, to the most depraved and wicked man that there is on the earth. When they stand before God, judged by their works, neither one of them is going to meet the mark of righteousness. They're not. And so the judgment of God, according to truth, does not accept men's persons. And I'm... I'm going to stop right there. Uh, we're out of time. Anything on your heart you'd like to say, to add?